Christmas is God's love story to man. Most likely he wasn't born in December, but when he was born doesn't really matter. The fact that he was born, and he was born not by accident, he was born purposely by prophetic utterance. God started a love story in the Garden of Eden, as you know, with Adam and Eve, and um, he gave them a great place to live, all the food they needed, an incredible environment, an incredible companionship with God, and an incredible completeness as husband and wife. And then he gave them a choice to live the best life that God had for them or the one that they chose for themselves. And as you know, they chose for themselves. And God loved them so much that he made a way for them to be forgiven and redeemed. Before he gave them the consequence of their sin, he gave them the promise of the coming Messiah to be able to be redeemed. He said the seed of the woman would bring forth a man. That seed of the woman was a prophetic utterance of the Messiah to come. For a woman has no seed in herself. The man produces the seed, the woman has the egg. And that was the first prophecy. And then he moved to the consequences which they were taken out of the garden. In God's great love, he removed them from the home that he made for them because they couldn't dwell anymore there because there was sin now. Sin interrupted fellowship with God. Sin ruined the whole idyllic environment and all that God had for them. And yet in his great love, he gave man a second chance to be able to partake of God's best in that fallen world. And to ensure that, he kicked them out of the garden and he secured it with a cherub with a flaming sword all around. Because he knew that man now in his fallen nature, now he's an enemy of God. Now he thinks he's God. Now he's in rebellion to God. And he knew that Adam and Eve would sneak back into the garden and try to eat of that tree of life now. Except they're in a fallen state now. And if they would have partaken, they would have been in an eternal fallen state, unable to be redeemed. And that would have proved God to be a liar. So God put a cherub to keep them out of the garden. Now people read that and say, that's cruel. No, that's love. Which of you as parents have not had a wayward son or daughter or grandchild or even a wife or a husband? That you try all you can and you do all you can and there comes a point where you have to draw that line and say, you know, you have to leave. You can't be here no more. People from the outside look upon you and they say, what a cruel person. He calls himself a Christian. They don't know the situation. Every problem we see with our mind can be easily solved because we're so smart. It's neatly packaged, detached from emotions, detached from reality. But when a parent makes that type of decision or a husband or wife, it's because 
they love them so much that they can't allow them to continue the destruction of their own life and the destruction of others. They're doing it in the hope of repentance. They're looking for that change of heart that there might be reconciliation. This was God's heart. And so he made a way by slaying an animal in Genesis 3.21 and with that blood made provisions and propitiation for their sin and with the skin he covered their nakedness. From there on, you have the principle of atonement, the blood upon the altar for the forgiveness of sins. Your blood is an interesting thing. It carries all the nutrients and all the oxygen to every part of your body. If you lose a certain amount of blood, you die. This body won't function. The life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of mankind that is forever and ever is based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. Man always tries to work his way back to God or to try to make up what he's destroyed or messed up. But you can't undo anything. You can't redo anything. You cannot go back as much as we want to. So mankind in this fallen nature does the next best thing he can do. He just kind of says, well, they're just mistakes and what doesn't uh, destroy you only makes you stronger. We come up with all these nifty little sayings. But it doesn't take away our guilt and our shame because we must be assured that what we've done, what we've committed, first against God, against people, is truly forgiven and put away. And that can only come through the blood of Jesus. 1 John 2, 2 says that God made him to be the propitiation. It's related to the Hebrew word. Um, propitiation is that which satisfied the demands of God for justice. He made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him in 2 Corinthians 5.21. John says he was a propitiation not only for our sins, the Christians, that you and I can sit here clothed and sane like that man, man of Gadara, demon-possessed, and know to know that everything I ever committed is buried in the deepest ocean, is forgiven completely like if I never committed it. And God never has brought any of my sins up. That's a great assurance. And that when I give my last breath, I will be instantly present with the Lord. Now, religion never did that for me. All the partying and drinking I did never did that for me. All the drugs my friends took, I'm getting a lot of names coming up, and they're dying. We're all between 72 and 75 now. Those are long years in the world. They come back to bite you. All that stuff just makes you run fast to escape the reality. But only that blood of Jesus and that forgiveness is what gives you that assurance. And it's through the gift of God's Son as He sent the Son. He loved the world so much. But he can't accept the world the way it is. 
God can only be one with the world if we agree with him. Just like you, a parent, you tell your son, you're out of here, I can't handle you no more. I've got three other kids and I can't jeopardize them. But you're looking for signs of his repentance and maybe a year or two down the road, he begins to think about things and he comes back and he says, Dad, I, 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 I want to apologize. I want to ask you to forgive me. I, I, I was completely wrong and I'm going to show you from here on how sorry I am. And he starts showing signs of repentance. Then your heart goes out and then you can do something for your son. See, all your love for your son and daughter that's wayward, you can't change them. You, you, you can't save them. You can't do anything for them. Your love can't do that. They must come to the point of realizing their offense and their wrong and want to turn from it. And this is what God does through the gospel. That's why it's called good news. It's good news that God loves us so much that he, he, he'll save you from your sin, but never in your sin. I'll help my son and daughter, but not in their sin. I'll help them from their sin, but not in their sin. And God is the perfect father. Because I, as a father, can't read the heart of my son or my daughter. But he, the father of all of us, he knows exactly what's in my heart. So when the gospel is proclaimed, the gospel loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, regardless of age, regardless of the sin, regardless of whatever. When that gospel goes out and that person says, I agree with you, Lord. I agree that I'm a sinner. I'm rebellious towards you. Forgive me for my sins. That is the conviction and the illumination, the work of the Holy Spirit of God that makes the word of God alive. It goes from your head to your heart because the problem is not your head, ladies and gentlemen. Our problem is our heart. Our heart is evil, desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9. No one can change our heart except for the Lord. We think we're smart with our behavioral sciences, the psychology, sociology, and all this new stuff that we are evolving. And, and you know, when you're born, you, that, isn't, you, that doesn't determine your sex. But as you move through your journey through life now, we're evolving on our sexuality. And you may be a boy today, a girl tomorrow, maybe a he, she next week, and whatever. And we try to explain things away. But it doesn't change the heart. It just helps me fit into the corrupt, amoral society. But God says, that's wrong. I want you to agree with me. I made Adam and Eve. Sin came in, and because of sin, death came in. But I made a way of escape through my son, Jesus Christ. Not through Mary, not through Buddha, not through Allah, not through Confucius, not through works. But by agreeing that you are a sinner. First you've sinned against me and you've sinned with and against other people. And if you call on my name and believe what I've said about my son, what I accomplished through him. That he tasted death for every man. That he paid the price for all sins of the world. 
And if you will call upon him, believing that, that you will be accepted in what he accomplished for you, I will forgive you. I will make you my son and my daughter. Wow. Now you can partake of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life of Jesus Christ. Is it because you're so good, because you, you deserve it? Uh-uh. It's because of God's grace and his love. But God could not save us because he loved us. He didn't save us through his love. Just like your love for your son and daughter couldn't change him. He saved us through the death of his son. He killed his own son in your place. That's how he saved you. He tasted death. He paid the price for you and for me. And it's been paid. All you got to do is pick up your payment slip if you agree with him. That's called faith, acting on what God has revealed about himself. Faith is not just feeling good or believing hard enough. Faith, if it's going to be biblical, must point me back to God's word, God's revelation. Otherwise, it's just religion, it's just philosophy, it's just mind over matter. And so God's word is made alive by the Spirit of God. Not because I'm smart. Not because I'm so good. But because I agree with God's record of who I am, what I've done, and what he's done for me. This is called the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power got into salvation to the Jew first and to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith, quoting Habakkuk 2.4. Faith and grace began in the Old Testament, not the New. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah believed God that he's going to destroy the world. That's biblical faith. Abraham believed God that he's going to make a nation of him. That's biblical faith. Isaiah proclaimed that God will send a, uh, a son through a virgin. A virgin should bear a son and should call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's faith. Always back to God's revelation. And so we're living in a world, and many of you young people go to school, universities, and some of you are in positions where this indoctrination goes on and on to push us away from the Bible thinking it's foolishness. How can you believe that? How can we not believe it when we live in a world of people that are so dishonest, so untrustworthy? I would much rather trust God any day than man. The only man and woman I trust is the one, not just as a Christian, because some Christians are carnal, only the man and woman who's walking in the spirit and obedient to God's word as they're growing, maturing, and developing in Jesus Christ. That person you can trust because Christ is in them. That's our only hope, ladies and gentlemen. And that God would allow us to be here all these years to be a shining light, to proclaim the gospel, to have that privilege, to be able to instruct and to pray for these little kids 
I'm sitting at the door and watching these little, I look at them, little kids coming in with kids. These kids grew up here. They're little guys. Now they're bringing kids that are bigger than them than I remember them. What a privilege as we pass that baton down to the next generation because if God tarries, your children, my children, our grandchildren are going to need to stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ in this very, very dark world. But God will be sufficient. He was sufficient for Daniel. He was sufficient for the nation of Israel in captivity. He was sufficient for Joseph in Egypt. He was sufficient for his son in the garden. And so our hope and trust is not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know him. You need to know how much God loves you. But if you don't know Jesus, he can't bestow the benefit of his love because you're in your sin. If you believe the gospel, then he asks you to repent, acknowledging your waywardness towards God and that his son is the only way to come to him. And you believe that. That's by the work of the Spirit of God. Now you need to call upon him. He doesn't do that. He doesn't force you to go to heaven. You need to ask him, say, Lord, forgive me. I believe that. Many people will say, well, you know, right now I'm, I'm just busy doing some things. You know, I just moved in with this chick. And, you know, I just don't have nowhere to go or whatever it is. There's always excuses. Let me tell you something. Every person tonight in hell, not one of them is blaming God for being in hell. They know they're there because they rejected Jesus Christ before they died. No one is blaming. You know where people blame God? Here on earth. Not in hell. They know exactly why they're there. God gives you an opportunity before you die. Maybe more than once. I pray you take it. Because you can never go back. Today's the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow is promised to nobody. I'm driving down Badillo, going east, coming to Sousa Avenue, November 1969, on my chopper. A lady makes a left turn and hits me head on. I'm in a coma eight to 12 days. I'm a non-believer. I recover. I have a left legion on the left side of my brain. I'm seeing double. So I lay off the partying for a while. Then it comes back, I'm okay. I go back to partying. I'm going to school, I'm working, I'm partying. I'm hearing about the gospel. I have my own Kung Fu studio. My brother and I used to teach martial arts. And we're doing a demonstration over here on Beverly Boulevard in LA in 1973. And we're doing a stick routine and the stick punctures my eye, it breaks and it punctures my right eye and it deflates my right hand. 
Immediately I call on the Lord. I've heard about the gospel. I got up, went to the hospital. I lost my right eye, but I got to see clear for the first time in my life. I'm coming to work in 2001, 7.30 in the morning, Groundhog's Day, February the 2nd, 7.30. Riding my Harley, turn left into the station. Car comes railing up the side of the street and takes me out. C2 fracture, same thing as Superman, the guy Superman. I should be quadriplegic or dead. My right leg's all tore up. God allows me to recover. But now I'm saved. So I'm not worried what happens to me. And I hit the ground, I wake up, I just go like this, because I had braces. I want to make sure all my teeth are there. <laughs> no one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. I die now, I go instantly present before the Lord. If I would have died in 1969, ladies and gentlemen, I would have been in hell. No doubt in my life. God's grace. Maybe you're here tonight. You don't have to go through all those dramatic things. But he can't save you from your sin. That's exactly why he sent his son. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts if there's anyone here or over the internet, Lord, that's looking to us, Lord. That you would just allow them to see your love and grace. Lord, they would call on your name to be saved, Lord. You would just bless them, Lord, as you transform their life. As you're praying, if... If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I, I never do. I don't have anything against altar calls. I just don't do them. If you want to be born again, you do it right where you're at. It doesn't matter what we know. It's what God knows. And right where you sit right now, if you believe what I have said, then that's the grace of God. If you agree with God that you're a sinner and rebellion to God and need of salvation, then that's the grace of God. Now, you need to tell that to the Lord. You need to repent from your sins because he will not force you to do that. He will not do that for you. Jesus said, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me, I will deny you. If you want to be born again, and have your sins forgiven. This is a simple prayer. You're going to pray to the Lord, not to me. And he's going to forgive you and give you eternal life right now by grace through faith. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.